Okay, so I have an idea. What if we started a podcast that's about making a podcast? This is The Mark Cannon Show. Welcome back to the show, guys. I'm your host, Mark Cannon, and today on the show, I have Rich Wakefield, uh, who's an executive creative director over at The Union, uh, which is a co-op agency here in Philadelphia. Essentially, what that is, it's a virtual agency uh, where there's uh, you know teams spread out all over the place. His happens to be, um, I think, mostly domestically here in the US and um and they operate, you know, and, and deliver what um traditional agencies do. So um, you know, this is what, you know, I see as a trend, a big trend in the agency world. Um so we talk about that a little bit, the future of agencies and where boutique agencies fall within that. Um and then we get into a lot of other things. He's he's got a lot of side projects, um, a lot of brands that he's worked with and built over the years. He's worked at a lot of the big agencies, um, and so he has a lot of experience to pull from. Um, the first one that we talk about being the Happy Triangle, um, his theory on how to find the best place, or you know where to find your best work, what's going to make you most happy. Um, so we we touch on that. Uh, just a little bit, you know, where the best ideas come from, from his perspective, um, you know, about bringing creatives into the strategic process a little bit earlier and how that helps, um, how to normalize conversations around taboo topics. Um, if your uh, company, your service, your brand, um, you know, touches on them, how to normalize that from his perspective. Um, pretty interesting and in how he's done that before. Um, and then, you know, a couple of his, uh, his projects, he has a, uh, a gift project going on right now. Um, he's worked on an X-rated project that uh, we, we talked about a little bit. So that was really interesting. And then, you know, really just getting outside of your comfort zone, whether that's yourself um, or, you know, if you're creative and you're, um, you know, working with clients, how to do that and why it's important. Um, so these are just a few of the things that we touched on today, but um, I'm always, uh, you know, I'm always really, you know, spending a lot of time uh, talking with Rich. We just kind of get into it. So it was a really great conversation, and I'm uh, excited to uh, to bring this to you guys today. Um, so I hope you enjoy the show. Yeah, so I just wanted to uh, bring on uh, Rich Wakefield today. Um, he's uh, an ECD here um, in Philly. Um, he's at uh, the Union, which is uh, a co-op agency. And I uh, just wanted to, to bring him on since we've had a lot of interesting conversations over the past uh, year or so since we met. And uh, he's a super creative guy, really successful, been in the agency world for a long time. Um, so, Rich, uh, thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. In 2009, I was um, an ECD at BBDO, my executive creative director at BBDO. I had like maybe 40 guys working for me, 30, 40 guys working for me. Um, I was a lead on um, one of the leads on Singular Wireless, which became AT&T. Uh, the client was in Atlanta. So I had, uh, I had direct contact with the clients of the new, so there's two ECDs, one in New York and one in Atlanta. If they needed work presented in Atlanta, I would present their work with them on the phone. So there was still a face to face. The okay. client never knew where the ideas came from. They never knew if it was New York or Atlanta. So there was no politics there, right? No favoritism. Yeah. Um, so in 2009, I, so I graduated in 1990. So I've been in the business maybe 19 years, uh, no, 
uh, yeah, 19 years. Um, and, uh, they, because of the, because of the economy and that's a huge piece of business. It was $2 billion in marketing. AT&T was, um, they got rid of three senior guys in, in Atlanta, uh, cause we were making big, big money. Um, that's what helped me create the happy triangle. I think I told you about the happy triangle. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that a little bit, yeah. but you can explain a little bit more on that. Um, so to be happy, um, to be happy, you have to have an equilibrium, equilibrium triangle, and this could work for even being happy in your relationship, uh, or, or anything, but in business or for my career at the top of the triangle, I want to be making the money that I feel like I've, I'm worth. Right. Um, and then on the other two sides, you have uh, growth. So you're actually growing at that business, growing yourself, you're learning from people, you're working with really talented people, you're putting new stuff on your, in your portfolio, uh, you're doing new projects, you're working with like amazing directors or whatever the growth part is. Maybe your agency is sending you to South by Southwest, right? Right. The other side is culture. So you want to, um, you don't want to work with a bunch of assholes, you know, or you right. want, you want, you want, you don't want a lot of politics because it gets in the way of you being creative. You like the people you work with. Uh, you like your commute. You know, it's not like a hassle to get there. You like the office where you work. So you want that to be equal, right? At BBDO, was, mine was really tall and skinny. So I was making a lot of money, but I wasn't happy because culturally um, it, it was, well, growth-wise, look, growth-wise, um, I wasn't growing any because all the client wanted was more TV. Let's do TV. Let's do TV. Uh, so I wasn't growing. I wasn't learning anything new. Um, I was learning a little bit about myself and, and management. Um, and on the culture side, bureaucracy was really thick, you know, because uh, it's a huge piece of business. And my boss is in New York, right? like a thousand miles away. So I have no idea what kind of like conversations they're having in the hallway. I mean, I, there's no, so I wasn't happy. It's basically what I'm saying. Right. So actually it, it, so, so what's happening right now in this, in this pandemic is sort of what happens when you get laid off. So you have to like rethink where you fit and what you really want to do that's going to make you happy. Right. So I think a lot of like you, we, you wanted to get into the trends and with small business stuff, I think there's going to be a lot of people that got let go from their job and they're going to come, going to be better off, you know, because they'll find a better job. Right. And just out of necessity, who knows? Like you said that people are doing um, uh, babysitting online um, yeah, for Zoom. Like babysitting, like that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I think that there's probably going to be people that are stuck at home and they were probably a good bakers and they might create a whole business out of that. And yet they were stuck in this job because they needed job stability. They needed to provide for their families. I think there's going to be a lot of new businesses out of here. I saw something really interesting about Bill Weir on CNN about the environment. Okay. Um, and he had a, he had a environment, a botanist or some kind of scientific person that was with him. And they were talking about um, what's the, where the, had the big fires pleasure. Uh, it was a place where they had like these big fires out, out West. And what he had said is that, these logging people, what they do is they come in and they clean out the forest and they grow new trees. That's great. Right. And then they, they, but those, 
those trees that have fallen down and they're like start to rot and all this stuff that those create, those create like insects for birds. And then the birds, you know, like, so out of just even earth, out of necessity, out of death, they it creates life. And I think that's what's going to happen out of this. I think that there's, you're going to see a lot of new businesses that are going to come out of here just because of necessity or just because they're adapting. Maybe these small businesses have to, have to, have to adapt. You know, all these sneeze guard things. Like for like, imagine like every place you go now has like a plastic thing on it. Well, those, pl those plastic companies are probably making good money. They didn't make before. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know I mean? How about well, like the face masks? I know we were talking a little bit about before I saw Disney's, you know, coming out with different things now, all the luxury, you know, Louis Vuitton. What, what's, what's your take on that? And, and explain a little bit, you know, what, uh, what we were talking about earlier on the masks uh, standpoint. Well, I think that, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's going to be a lot of like, uh, I mean, think like about the fashion sports. wear around that and, you know, sports, you know, like all these people are going to jump on that and they're going to get like licensing and all this other kind of stuff on masks. I don't know how long we'll be behind masks. I mean, once the vaccine comes, we won't have any more, but I think you'll see a lot of pop stars, probably a lot of like rock and roll stars probably come out with some kind of a mask thing because it becomes a fashion statement. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, and I, but going, uh, I, I personally, I have a problem with Louis Vuitton and, and, uh, and all those brands that, you know, the, the, the luggage that they made, I know it'll last like a lifetime, but they charge so much money for it. Uh, you could buy something that's different than it'll last a lifetime. Right. I don't know. I just have a problem with like women showing off their Louis Vuitton. You don't even know if they're real or not. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Most. But it is kind of funny if Louis Vuitton had mask. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's like all these businesses are pivoting. So it's, you know, everybody's kind of doing something a little different. Even Panera, I saw that they came out with their grocery offering now, which, you know, I, I don't know if companies can implement that easy if they don't have an app already set up, but you know, there's a lot of people that are, are doing stuff like that. Well, think about this too. Um, they were always, you were always told not to go to the grocery store without your own bag. Now they're telling you not to bring the bag. Right. You know what I mean? So people are going to just have to pivot and, and do things uh, a little different. I think they're just going to have to be open to new ideas. I, that's what I was trying to say before we started recording here is like, I just think that, employees have a lot of good ideas and you probably weren't listening to them. And now you should be listening to them because they probably have a ton of great ideas to pivot. And maybe you do it once a week and you look for new ideas. I mean, 3M, I know, I don't know if you know this and I probably have to research it, but 3M encouraged people to come up with new ideas and they would actually give them the patent or they would give them huge amounts of money. Like they, 3M created the post-it note mm -hmm. and the guy who created the post-it note got, the royalties for it or whatever you got money for it and i think you should maybe have some incentives in your company to help you grow your business or change the way you're doing things you know uh, i don't know if some of those employers were listening to their employees right yeah because now now people have to listen you know even uh you know, even my company we're, we're doing a few things now that you know, I've wanted to before, but before all of this, it's like, well, let's not, you know, fix it unless it's completely, you know, not working or, you know, if it, if it seems like it'll take away from our actual day. So, I mean, there are, there are some good things coming out of this. Everything's getting more digital. Do you see any other trends on that digital front? 
from your perspective? Well, I also think too, so I have a friend who's a nurse um, and I was helping her because she was on the phone doing telemedicine for from, you know, nine in the morning till seven at night. And she was doing hundreds of calls um, a week. And she says, there's a business in this. I mean, she was forced to do it because she was working somewhere and doing it. She goes, why don't I just do that on my own? So I think there's going to be a lot of entrepreneurial stuff in the, if you're talking about the digital world like this, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of things that are going to come out of this. Uh, why would I have to go to the, it's going to be also um, convenient for me to talk to a doctor like this instead of having to wait uh, oh, yeah. and just, I could show him, I got to, you know, there's something on my arm. You know, can you tell me what that is? Um, so I think that that kind of thing too, I think that this teleworking too, I think people were uncomfortable not seeing their employees in the office. Um, I mean, how many hours does your employee really work? I mean, unless you're like on an assembly line and you have a quota to get the cars through, right? Uh, you're going to know how much your employee worked. Um, here, I mean, I'm going to, I'm, my client was telling me the other day, he's never worked so hard being doing this yeah. because they can see you all the time. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, my dad always asked me, you know, why are you on this phone all the time? Because I'm connected. He goes, I was, he, he, he said, I feel so lucky not having to be that way. I could be at the golf course and they wouldn't even know, you know? So right. I think, I think not that it's big brother, but I think that, and I think for their mindset and not having to do a commute and doing this, I get more work done doing, doing it this way than going to the office and get distracted by other people. Yeah, I agree. You know? Um, uh, but it's, it's interesting too, you know, because I feel like you're purely, you, you've always been kind of, you know, just from us talking um, the few times, you're very optimistic from a creative standpoint, from business opportunities, you know, helping change clients' minds because you've been in the agency world for quite a while. You know, when even the times are, you know, more or less status quo and they need to break out of that. So how have you found it's best to, you know, even when we get back out of this and then people go back to the normal, all right, let's just kind of business as usual or try and do what we did before. How have you found it's best to break out of that or, or help your clients do that? To think outside the box and actually, you know, roll with it. Well, I, my agency, so union, um, when I launched, when we launched the website, I'll send it to you, but my whole thing was like, cause we live in a digital world. Like you said, there's no more, you know, drawing on a piece of paper, you know, and showing an idea, you know, like I was like the other day, I was like, uh, sharing an idea on zoom. Let's see if I can find it real quick. Um, it's kind of stupid, but it's like a dog on a chain trying to get to a piece of meat, but he's only two inches away. And the solution is we're the bolt cutter. We allow to get the dog. That, so it was, it was a metaphor about like um, having cash in your business and you can't get to it. And we're the person that can help you get to the cash. It's right there. You know, that, so it was just an idea. I think when you share ideas on pieces of paper like this, instead of digitally and, and creating what I think a lot of agencies do this is they feel like they have to put on a show every time they have to have like this polished presentation and all this other kind of stuff. So when you and I can have a conversation and actually that didn't take that long for me to get there. My whole thing is 
go from cocktail napkins to cameras. You don't have to have all this like pomp and circumstance in between that. All the hard work is us getting to a place where we can agree that that idea is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we can execute. Then next time I, t- you know, I'm not taking this back, but when I do make a presentation to you, it would be more about what we talked about and when I would be executing it. So you can see what it's going to look like. You know, I might make a mood board, uh, uh, just to give you an idea. I mean, when I do that for logos and that sort of thing, I might give, I put these things up so we can have a conversation about it. Right. Um, and I think you get to, so my other thing is fast, cheap, and good. Pick two. That used to be the old model and the old paradigm, but clients want all three. And I feel like that helps you. Having a conversation helps you get to ideas faster, right? Um, it allows me to go, like you and I have a conversation right now, and the ball's bouncing in my head, and I'll walk away, and then I go, hey, I got an idea. I want to run by you again. Right. You know? And we can continue this conversation until we get to a place. Um, obviously, there's some clients out there just telling me what to do. You know, they don't want to have it. They want you to create, create the thing. Well, I'm still creating it, but we're creating it together. And I don't know what conversations you have in your hall. You might have had a conversation an hour ago that I wasn't privy to that this idea that we just talked about might fix that problem. Right. You know, um, so I think you have to have a good relationship with your client and, and, uh, obviously some clients want that pomp and circumstance, but I don't like working with those kind of people. I mean, I would rather us make it together. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and in fact, one of my other rules real quick is sell something to the client and change it. And what I mean by that is, is I've been doing this a long time is let's say you and I had agreed I did this on AT&T, million dollar, million dollar job, let's say. We did lots of $100,000, $500,000 jobs. And we would always, we always just had our storyboards were all drawn like that. They weren't color and all this. That's a waste of money. Even though I had millions of dollars, why waste your money there? You know, we would have a contract board. And what that meant was that you and I, client and agency, we agreed to go and shoot this thing, Right. Mm. I'm going to show you that thing that we agreed on 99 times out of a hundred. It wouldn't be what I should. I will show this edit to you, but here's what we think will work better. And 99 times of the time they like that thing. And it, it, it's still the same story, but it might be told in a different way. It might be instead of beginning, middle and end, it might be the end first and the middle. It, it's just the way you tell the story it might change. Right. And what, what are most of the, like, what have you found over the years? Are there any recurring problems that are most, you know, what clients are coming to you for, or the, you know, you find yourself trying to find a solution for, you know, is it just, is it just leads? Is it sales, you know, or is it something different? Um, like what I've are the problems the, that you face most, I guess? Uh, well, the problem, I think, look, I've worked in Egypt and, uh, same circus, different clowns. Mm-hmm. Okay? okay. Yeah. Tell, I mean, tell me a little bit more about that. What, what I mean by that is that fast, cheap, and good mm. clients want everything for nothing. They want it fast. Yeah. And, um, you know, they may have like a, uh, champagne, what I was champagne man's taste of the beer, beer pocketbook. Right. <laughs> yeah. You heard that? Yeah. I'm um, that, that to me sometimes is a problem when 
clients want something now and they don't really need it now, you know, because they're anxious and they're excited to get whatever they want now, but really the deadline's like two weeks away. So there are all these fake deadlines and stuff. I think honesty is probably the biggest problem in just being honest. It's going to cost you this much or it's going to take this long to make something. Um, if you're talking about business problems, there, there's a gamut of business problems. I mean, the thing about, I worked on Delta, for instance, back in the day, back at the beginning, and they would change their prices all the time. And you may be leaving the office at five o'clock and they want to do a full page newspaper ad that has to go out tomorrow. You can't shoot anything. It has to be all yeah. tight, right? Um, so when that, you say changing their prices, you mean, you know, changing the prices on their flights and, and different things? Yeah, yeah. And there may be like, we're going to do this and it has to be done tomorrow. Like we can react and we could do that. Um, yes, we could create like a funny headline or that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Those are necessary. Those are necessary deadlines. And if you have a media buy, those are necessary deadlines. But there's sometimes we're where the timelines can change. I think clients just get, want to get it done and it doesn't really have to get done then. You know, I think more stuff could be done. I don't, I'm, I'm kind of like rambling here, but. Um, like what, do you, what do you mean by that? You know, they, they want it done quickly. You think, you know. Because they want it done quickly. There's no reason for it. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you give us a little bit more time, even though you, I do fast, cheap and good, uh, it, it can still be done fast, but it could be done maybe a little better if you gave me an extra day or two. You know, I think, I think we're in human nature. We want to open the Christmas gift on the, on December 24th. It's right. just in our nature. You know, I mean, I'm working on a, I'm working on a video right now with my editor and he's keeping it for me and I'm, I just want to see it. I'm excited <laughs> about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just in our nature. I don't need it now. It's not going to go on our website for a month, you know, but I want to know, I want to see it now. Cause I want to, I'm excited for it. And I think it's just in human nature. Yeah. Um, other bit like business problems though, they, they run the gamut. And I think in one of my happy triangle, if you go to the, the happy triangle.com, there's one thing on there that um, is basically don't be afraid of silly ideas, you know? And, and what I mean by that is that you could say something and I say something worse and then you say something better and then I make it better. And that's what I mean by the conversation here. Um, I don't know what my point was for that. Just, you know, uh, talking about the different business problems and then, you know, how that part. Yeah. So, 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 oh, I know. Just, I can't wait for a strategist. So if I, if I have three weeks to do a job, let's say it has mm -hmm. to be done. And I have to present to the client in three weeks. Cause that's what A to C promised the client three weeks. Okay. Yeah. A lot of times, agency people wait for the strategist to bring them a piece of paper on what we should be saying, right? You're waiting for one guy who's done some research. Really, I've worked with a lot of smart people who bring me great strategies. Don't get me wrong. But I want to be in the room at the beginning because I'm a solutions provider too. I may have a solution that you may not have thought of and I can connect to the strategy that you made. So if you bring me in early, I think people should the people, the people that are going to be working on the project all should be at the, at the converse, in the conversation at the beginning and not wait because what's going to happen is that strategist is going to spend two weeks on the strategy. Now you only have one week to come up with a solution True. creatively. 
it's better if, if, and I have, if you go on there, there's a whole thing about like the Peace Corps, for instance. The, I asked the question as a business problem for the Peace Corps. What are we trying to do? Why are we advertising in the first place? Why are we marketing in the first place? What's the goal? It's recruitment. All right, how many people do you need to recruit? 16, I think it's 16,000 or 1,600. It's a little small number, okay? So I said, okay. So I went away and I thought about this. I said, man, if you're in the Peace Corps, you've, you've probably not like kept your hand raised, risen during this time. Like you're, you, you, you really feel it in your heart. You need to help that person. So I said, I went back to the strategist and I said, here, I want you to think about this. Let's do math. Let's say there's, I don't know, there's 330 million people in this country. Let's say some are old and some are too young. And let's say your core is maybe 200 million people. And you're only looking for 16,000 people. What if we get 200,000 people in a room, this huge room, right? 200 million people. And you ask them who would give a homeless person a quarter? Everybody's going to raise their hand, right? All right. How about a dollar? People, the hands start coming down. How about $2? And the hands start coming down. How about half of your sandwich? Hands come down. How about going across town and getting a meal and bringing it back to this person? Hands come down. All right, how about getting on a plane for eight hours, getting off that plane, taking another plane, then taking a car, and then taking some camels out into wherever you have to go. And at the end of it, you have 16,000 people with their hands risen. And so that created this whole thing. So then, so I told the strategist this because it was a solution. It was like a visual type of solution. And their thing was that the brief that I got from the, from the from the strategist was it's not a job it's a calling which is really interesting well what we did on the hand raising experiment was how far will you go so the campaign became uh life is calling how far will you go and it was because we were in the conversation at the very beginning of the of the project right so i think if you're going to talk about to businesses and stuff I think that people shouldn't hold so tight and, and on stuff. I think you should allow people to come into the room that will be working on the project and say, okay, here's the gist of the problem. We don't know where this is going to go, but here's, we have to get this phone to this person and we have to get that in three days. How do we do that? Do we, I don't know, put it on a plane. I mean, I, I, like you could start whatever the thing is. Right. I think people, if you get the balls bouncing in their head about trying to solve a problem, you'd be surprised. Right. I mean, some of these people could probably, you know, I don't know, play gin rummy on the weekends and they could kick your ass and you didn't even know it. I mean, there's, they're problem solvers. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. And, what, and just to recap, what was the Peace Corps' initial problem that they... Recruitment. Recruitment. Yeah. 16,000 people a year. They need to recruit. Right? Yeah. Um, when we presented the campaign, the client was crying. She goes, how do you understand wow. us so well? That's wild. And they had no money. I mean, so what we did is we, and I could share, I'll share the spot with you. And we had Matthew McConaughey read it for free. Um, but we had to use stills. We, we had photography from books that they gave us. So too bad we couldn't go on a big shoot and go to all these places all over the yeah. world. We had to like use their, their pictures. So executionally, we had an idea on how to fix that too. Right. 
So, so basically, it's not it, all about the big budget projects to actually solve a problem. One of my favorite ads of all time is two words on a page and the product. And it was for oil of a lay. And all it said was talk tick. So basically, it's just like turning your take, taking the wrinkles away. And all it said was talk tick. Hmm. Um, so it doesn't have to have a big budget to, to get across a, a, a big idea. Yeah. How about in today's climate? You know, I feel like the, the power of copy and everything before digital was, you know, more impactful because people were reading just a few, few pieces of medium. Now it's all over the place. Any, any tips on that or anything you've come across in that sense where I know you've done a lot of video work and if, if it's, if, if something's worth reading, people will read it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I read, I got all kinds of sh- stuff like rattling my brain. So I read this, uh, this book, uh, Esquire magazine used to be my, is my favorite magazine. I don't, I don't travel as much, so I don't get magazines like I used to. Yeah. Um, and there was a, <coughs> there's a writer in there. His name is AJ Jacobs, and he does all these experiments, all these social experiments. And so what he did is he wrote this book, and it's re- it was a really fun book to read. And it was uh, the Know It All: One Man's Quest uh, to Become the Smartest Man in the World. It's called the Know It All. And what he did is he bought. Uh, I'm telling you this for a reason for the reading part. He bought the Encyclopedia Britannica. He had books, the old books, and he had them delivered to his house, A to Z. And every chapter is A, B, C, D. So there's some trivial things in there that are a lot of fun to to read about. Like like Lacoste, for instance. You know Lacoste, the brand? Yeah. We call it alligator shirt. Right, yeah. It's not an alligator, it's a crocodile. And it was named after Lacoste, a tennis player, who won uh, a tennis match when he was a rookie and he got crocodile skin luggage. And all of his friends made fun of him. They called him Croc. And that's where, the na- that's where Lacoste came from. So he has a lot of these like trivial things in there. What he was trying to prove is that if he read all of this stuff, the whole Britannica, he would be the smartest person in the world. He interviewed like brain surgeons. He interviewed all kinds of you know, theologians, all, all, these, all these different people. And what he realized is that, and he thought because, you know, they, you heard that the brain – you only you only use like five percent of our brain or ten percent of our brain. There's ninety percent of storage in there that we don't use. Um, what he found out at the end of it is that he didn't remember all the tributaries and all the rivers and all the geography. He could care less about geography. He didn't remember that. He retained uh, ten times. He retained the things that he was interested in: music, you know, uh, uh, culture, pop culture. Uh, art he remembered those things because he he loved those things so i think going back to this if it's worth reading for the audience they're going to read it and they'll retain it but because we're like we're we're time crunched now video actually could get you there quicker right i try to do audible books and i just can't do them unless i'm commuting or something yeah i can't i can't do it here at home i i just i even if I try to work, I, I can listen to music because it's in the background or I can have the TV on. It's in the background. You know, if I find the right thing and it's just in the background, right. but I can't pay attention to an audible book, you know, when it's in the room, I just can't do it. I thought I could do it. I can't. I know. I feel the same. I feel the same way. It's tough, especially when I'm working on something because I want to typically the books I'm listening to, I want to retain 
what I'm listening to, or I, I think about the things after I hear them. So yeah, I, I, f- I feel the same way. So, I mean, I've always heard that even 30 years ago, people don't read copy, uh, but they do if they're interested in it, you know? Right. I mean, I love long copy. I love art directing long copy ads, you know, back in the day. You don't just don't see that. I don't do print anymore. So um, I, I miss that because I had the control. I was the art director. So I could control, I had control of that. Uh, with video, it's, it's, you don't have as much control unless you're directing and, and helping the editor and stuff. Because there's more people uh, when you're executing. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but I would just say this to businesses is just to keep the conversation open. If you have a business problem, I mean, you shouldn't like hold it so tight. Uh, like I'll give you another example. I worked on Monistat, which is the yeast infection cream. And um, what I found out is every woman will get a yeast infection in their lifetime. One at least. Yeah. And as a 50 year old guy working on that product, I can't bring in the euphemisms for vagina and put it on the wall. I'd get fired. But if I bring a 20-year-old girl and she did that, then it keeps the conversation open, right? And that's where I, I showed you an animated beaver on fire screaming across the screen. Yeah, the yeah. If you send that to me, I'll, I'll post all this stuff. But um, No, but the client loved that, and, and, and it was strategic. And so that's the other thing I've learned is that is as a creative person, I have to be creative in the way that I sell it. So I had to sell it internally to be able to even show it to the client, right? So I didn't mind that. A lot of times you have these stakeholders inside of agencies like presidents, people that aren't even on the project and saying, there's no way you can show the client that. As a creative person, you have to come up with a reason, a creative reason, a strategy reason, something on why you, you should be able to, to, to show that. So it was animated, right? How do we normalize the conversation? It's something like, you know, erectile dysfunction is a normalized conversation now. Yeast infections aren't so much. People probably don't, they probably go check out themselves at the CVS, you know, through the checkout. They probably don't go to the counter. They're probably embarrassed by it, right? Well, the thing about, the thing about animation is that it's a, if, you're, if you watch Family Guy or you watch like anything, like I don't know, um, uh, South Park. You have an episode of Muhammad, Jesus, and Santa Claus all fighting, right? Right. You're allowed to do that in animation. And, and that's, why, that's why it was a strategic thing. It normalized the conversation, and the client loved it. The client was very uh, Johnson & Johnson, meaning they test everything, they research everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, they allowed us to bring that into the room off the charts for young people. Old people are like, how dare they talk about my thing like yeah. that, right? Yeah. And I said, yeah, but now we live in a world where the younger people are sharing things on channels the older people don't see. Older people aren't on TikTok. Older people aren't on Snapchat. Uh, they're just not, I mean, we can talk to those people. We can share things where the older people don't even see it. And even if they get offended, that's even better for us. Because now it sparks a conversation because people go, oh, come on. It's just a stupid animation. And it allows us to come out as a brand and say, we're just trying to normalize the conversation. We're sorry we offended you. Here's a, here's a free sample. I don't know. Yeah. Um, anyway, like, for instance, I saw, like, talk about conversations and, and experiments. 
they had this thing in, in London um, where uh, this guy held a sign and he says, help the poor, help the poor, help the poor, help the poor. And you see all these people just walk by. Next week he comes out with a sign, fuck the poor, fuck the poor, fuck <laughs> the poor. Guess what? More people came up to him. It allowed him to get into the conversation. He changed the conversation just by flipping it. Yeah. Right? It's, it might be audacious, but I think people, and that's what I'm saying about fear and fearlessness, is that if this hasn't taught you anything as a business, you should be audacious. Right. Well, I, I guess with that said, I, I, you know, to garner that attention and to get people to finally react, you know, it's something that I, I feel like I'm always trying to balance and it's not, it's not the easiest when you're trying to stick within, um, you know, the rules of like an organization that's, you know, bigger and, and there's already things set in place, you know, yourself, you can probably be a little bit more um, audacious about maybe how you sell things and different things like that. But me, you know, in an organization where I'm selling typically, you know, um, through the old school type ways, you know, calls and emails and things that I don't really think, you know, are the most uh, effective, but it's tough for me to go really so far outside of the bounds and potentially jeopardize. So like, what are your thoughts? Yeah, on I know there, there is, like there that? is, there, there, look, there's a, a line of risk and reward, Yeah, you know, um, there's, there's, Fear, really fear, fearful things. You know, I'm still probably afraid of, I'm not afraid of flying, but I'm afraid of like, and I'm not afraid of five stories up, but I might be afraid of looking down 30 stories up. You know what I mean? Right. There's still, there's still real fear, I think, uh, that you can't, and, and, and you can't jeopardize your business by doing something too audacious. Uh, but I think, but on, in the inside of your walls, is all I'm trying to say is that you yeah. should accept to listen to audacious ideas mm. because you could take an audacious idea and change it slightly to where it would work. You know, what you're saying is about emails and sales and sales calls. What I hate about LinkedIn sometimes when I linked in with something, the first thing they do is they give me like this paragraph of why I should use their business. I don't have any relationship with them. They have no social currency with me. Right. Why? Well, I'm not going to read that. And the next time you, it's, that's not being audacious enough. I, I think you should just send me a picture, like make me curious about what, what why I should talk to you. Right. Or, that, that's what I was going to say, what do you do in that situation? Yeah, that's one or, way. Or, or, or you have to understand the audience, right? So they, they should look at my, instead, I think what they're doing is accepting my LinkedIn. And I, 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 and I have a problem because I link in with everybody because I just want to expand my horizons and I want to, that person might have know somebody that knows somebody that I might need down the road. Right. So I link in with people, but at the same time, if I, I go back to their profile and I said, okay, this person's just cold calling me. Right. It would be better if I said, Hey, Mark, I saw that thing you posted. That was really cool. That's it. Yeah. And I say, thanks. And then you go, well, tell me more about that. You know, like that. I mean, you got to get into the conversation. You just can't go, you can't go to a, it's like going to a cocktail party. I don't know if we'll have cocktail parties in a while, but, uh, <laughs> but if, but if you go to a cocktail party and you have like a, a card, you say, here's my card, here's my card, here's my card, here's my card. At the end of it, the ashtrays, the, everything will be full of your cards. Right. It's right. just a waste of time. Right. So you got to get into a conversation. 
And if it's worth reading, like you said, if it's worth my time, I'm going to read it. So make sure it's something I might be interested in, you know? Right. Like I try a lot of experiments and like I'm doing one now where, you know, I've started to get people all over the world helping me on these little gifts. Some people don't respond. Uh, I don't know why. I just said, do you want to play, you know? Yeah, explain a little bit more about that um, to whoever's, you know, listening here, you know, about that, the gift project. Um, well, so or I always experiment, you know, what, what you're doing. So I always try to, uh, I'm just going to ramble here. I lived in Egypt. I lived in Egypt. I had an iPhone. In order for me to use my iPhone, I had to have it jailbroken. Um, I paid $100 to have it jailbroken and I did something and relocked it. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that again. Just give me the flip phone and I'll just use the flip phone. I'll still text the old way where you four, 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 six, seven, five, 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 you know, whatever. Yeah. And um, so I didn't have, have new technology for a couple of years. So I'm, I feel like I was a little behind, but I could read about it and that sort of thing, but I wasn't playing with it. When I came back to the States, I said, you know, now I got my iPhone back. I'm going to be, uh, uh, I'm going to start taking pictures of individual single words because I was illiterate in Egypt and I'm going to use, start posting those on Instagram. And after I got a thousand words, I went to the center for literacy and I said, how can, how can we use these words? I started getting people posting. I was trying to experiment to see how I could get people interested in what I'm doing with this experiment. I guess my point in telling you this is that I'm always experimenting with new things and, and, talking about digital, you have the opportunity to make stuff that's disposable. You know, that stuff that's just not, you haven't put any, you just put a little time and effort. If it starts catching on, it's almost like catching a fish. You start just pushing it. So for the COVID-19 thing at night, when I'm done with work, um, I started, I see all these stay home uh, messaging and six stay six feet apart. And I see that there are all these empty places in all over the world. Uh, I figure people are at home. So I just stuck with the stay home message. Yeah. And so, and I can send this to you, but if you, if you can imagine like a square uh, on top is a blue half on the bottom is a brown half. And in the middle is a green strip. So that represents the sky, the earth and a strip of grass. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, above that would be something that is worth living for. So it might be, six feet apart underneath would be six feet under. And it's like, it's a better above ground. Um, but then I can make it very poppy. So I make the colors different now, you know, like there's pink on top and dark blue on the bottom. And then I started posting these and all of a sudden because of my LinkedIn experiment where I would just like start linking in with people from different parts of the world, I started getting some of these messages back cause they wanted to play. And now I found something that people want to play with. So now I'm getting like, for instance, I got one from Venezuela. We say happy as a clam. In their language, they say happy as an earthworm. So it says happy as an earthworm on top, happy earthworms underneath. So it becomes a cultural thing, but it's not so pop culture that another culture wouldn't understand it. And that's what I learned in Egypt. If you're going to do something that's global, you have to have an idea that can actually uh, go beyond. It has to be a human human connection you right. know i can't make i can't make some reference to 
to some movie star that people don't even know. Heck, I make references to movie stars now and 20 year old kids don't know what I'm talking about. Right. You know, like weird science. I never seen weird science. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe you haven't. I don't know. No, yeah, I've, I've seen it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but I'll, I think my point translates internationally. Yeah. And I think my point is that as a creative person, I always have a, a, a side experiment, side project. See what you, I'm trying now. I wanted to do something for kids. Um, like get them to draw what their experiences are right now, what they feel like. Do they, did they've heard of coronavirus? Do they think they can, be, you know, be a big robot and kill the virus? I mean, I, I don't know how to, I don't know. It's just rambling, rattling in my head, but I don't know how. I tried one post, but I got no response. I'm going to have to try something else. And that's a good thing about like, social media and digital stuff is you could try stuff and it just becomes disposable, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm curious like what you get out of it because I guess two things, you seem like a hungrier creative than, you know, most people that, that I've met or come across and you're, you're always testing things out. You're always experimenting. So why do you think you're so driven to experiment? Are you just curious or? Yeah, I'm curious. And, and also like, I like getting people. Like I got you, right? Yeah. Like so, so back in the day, uh, like right now, I can see great work from all over the world. There's tons of websites. There's tons of places I can go. Ads of the world. Uh, there's the one show. There's CA and all these other places that have websites. But back in the day, there were books. You had CAA Communication Arts. You had one show, and you bought those books from Barnes and Noble, whatever. And you would flip through them just to get inspired and see what other people are doing and, and see who the best people are and, uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, and in order to get recognized to people to know your name, you had to get in the books. You had to get, you had to win the awards, right? So my partner and I said, okay, what do we want to work on? Like as a side project. And we did, I don't know if I told this story before. We said, you know, that triple X theater down the street, that shows all the porn and stuff. Let's do an ad for that, but no TNA jokes, no nothing that's like easy, you know, yeah. like like come try our thighs or whatever, whatever the stupid idea would be, right? Yeah. So we created a door, a poster of a door, the size of a door. So the poster right? was the size of a door. Yeah, it was. It wasn't that big, but it was pretty big. You know, right? Yeah. It was a white, white poster and it had a doorknob and it had a keyhole and that's it. And I posted it. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I put it outside my office just as an experiment because I like getting people. Right. Yeah. And they're like, what's with the door? Like, and I go, I don't know. I just think it's funny because we don't have any doors. Our agency at the time had taken all the doors off the hinges because they wanted to have an, an open environment. And right. the, my, my CD was really good at PR, so he took the door and made it a desk, and he says, we have no doors here. I mean, it was, it was kind of fun. That's fun. So they're like, what's with the door? And I'm like, I don't know, because we don't have any doors here. But in six-point type, small little type, in the keyhole, it said pervert. <laughs> so I got you. If you're the type of person who likes to look through a keyhole, then you're the person that needs to come to this X theater, right? That's funny. And it, and it got us, it got us in the award books and we won some awards for it, but I like getting people. I mean, one, th one thing I can, and I just ramble. I'm sorry. I talk too much. 
it's the end of the day. It's almost time for a drink. <laughs> I, I forced myself to never drink until after six. I don't have to be, so I'm not in the house drinking, you know, when my wife comes home and I have two, two drinks. You have a couple of drinks. Yeah. It is Friday. So it is Friday, right? I mean, I don't it know is, if it's Yeah, Tuesday yeah, I, I'm losing track of the day, <laughs> right. too, but yeah, it is Friday. Um, so, uh, where was I going? Oh, oh, here, so here's what I had. I had this on my, on my portfolio for a long time. I don't know, it's not on there anymore. I'm an, I'm an army brat. So, my dad was in the military for 33 years. Mm-hmm. Every two years, we moved somewhere, right? Oh, it was always a new place. I didn't know how to dress. I didn't know how to talk. You know, I didn't know these new people. I mean, I'm the kind of person when my parents told me when I was five years old, six years old, I would knock on people's doors and say, do you have somebody to play with me? Right. Because I just want to meet people and I want to, you know, like, and so when I moved from Hawaii, I lived in Hawaii for three years. I wore flip-flops. I wore checkered pants. I wore hang 10 shirts, right, with the two two uh, feet. I don't know if you've ever seen a hang 10 shirt. Yeah, I've seen a hang 10, yeah. And I walked into school wearing flip-flops. I moved to Virginia in Newport News. I walked into school wearing flip-flops, uh, checkered pants, probably a flowered shirt or something like that. And people were looking at me funny, like I'm like, like you know, light in my loafers or something, you know, like what the fuck, who is this guy, you know? I'm like, this is how we always dress there. Yeah. But here, everybody was dressed in like uh, the, the, they had like these things called earth shoes back in the day. They were like leather, uh, suede leather, uh, straight or, or Nikes, the new Nikes. Uh, they were white with the, the red Nike swoosh. The, um, like the old school, like Cortez. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then um, straight leg cords. Uh, they had, um, Button down shirts that might be Ralph Lauren or, you know, like a polisher or something. Yeah. Uh, the Ralph Lauren logo. They would have, they would roll up their sleeves and they had long handled underwear underneath. Uh, and that's kind of how they, that was the dress. And they had, oh, and they, ha- they had like uh, uh, combs in their back pocket with the, with the little rat tail sticking out. Okay. So that's them and me with the flower shirt and the flip flops and stuff. What I learned in marketing is that I can't be there to represent my idea. My idea has to live on its own and it can't get beaten up. It has to look like the audience. It has to have the audience has to accept it. Right. So what I like to do, I like to get people. I like to go, Oh man, you got me. You know what I mean? Right. And that's kind of what I'm doing with these COVID things. It's like it's better above ground. I think it's just funny. It's like, don't die. You know, but it's, it's, it's funnier, like power nap, dirt nap, you know, I mean, to me, just make somebody smile, you know, and, and if you can get somebody just to share it, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to become famous. I just like to to try to do stuff that makes people laugh or makes people go, Hmm, that's kind of cool. I like that. You know, I'll share that, you know? Right. And like getting out the vote. It's getting that reaction from people. Yeah. Like getting out the vote. I want people to vote this November. I mean, I don't care if you vote for Trump or you vote for somebody else or Biden. I just want, we have the right to vote and stop complaining about the person who's in the office. If you didn't vote, 
Right. You know, my, my kids don't vote. They're in the twenties. They don't vote. They're like, ah, that's a waste of time. And I'm like, really? I mean, I mean, I don't want to get political, but it's just to, to me, what I think about is not the, not the president, but is the Supreme court. You know, there's a lot of, there's a couple of old people there, you know, um, RGB, R, RBG is there, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And she's not getting any younger. And if we have this guy in the office in the next four years, she's going to be replaced. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Because you've, you've lived in a bunch of different places. You've been, you know, living in international, you know, cities. So, you know, having the right to vote is, is obviously important. So very well, I was there during the revolution during it. It didn't, didn't go so well for them, but they got to vote at least. Yeah. And now they're back to wherever they where they where they are. I think what happens is people, because it it does remind me because we were on an 18, 18 day um, kind of lockdown in a way. They had like a three o'clock curfew. Is it it's Egypt? Not like, yeah, yeah. And it's not like you couldn't go anywhere, and the stores weren't open. But you know, after the first day, the stores are all cleaned out. I mean, people are just they're going in their apocalyptic bunkers. You know, right. Um. It wasn't like that, but it does remind me a, a little bit of the quietness on the streets and that sort of thing. But it also reminds me of people getting really excited because they were going to make a change. But mm -hmm. then after a year or two, they went back to their old selves and they were complacent. And guess what? They have a, a fascist go a government there again. Um, so I think what I'm saying, if you're going to do this for business, is that they don't forget. Don't forget about this because that time where you said, I got to pivot when you feel like you're going to get complacent again, should be the time that you need to pivot again. You know? Right. Yeah. Just always be, be conscious of that. Even though it's tough, even though people will go back at some point and, and not, um, I think you've, you've made a pretty successful career so far by keeping on top of that. And I've always just been really curious, like how, or what drives that do you, do you ever sit back and think like, why do I do this? Cause there's other people that would be happy to be in your position and just kind of like kick back and just, you know, coast through like what, what truly drives you? Like besides getting people like, do you, did you ever kind of think about where that stems from? You know, if it's like anything you've Well, I feel, I feel lucky. Cause I ran in, I, I feel like I'm, bl I'm blessed a little bit. Like I always kind of land on my feet and, um, I think because I'm driven and because my name, I'm trying to get, keep my name out there. I'm like, Oh yeah, I've heard of you, but you might be too expensive. And I go, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. You know, like maybe not, you know, that kind of, at least right. if my name's out there, I think there, we live in Philadelphia. So there's a lot of people that work in the pharma place and they'll, they'll do this all day and they'll say they're busy. You know, they know they're not busy. <laughs> they're just, they're, they're the complacency, especially in a creative, they should just get out of the, out of the, out of the business altogether if they're going to become complacent and if it's just a job. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, I, I, I think there's a lot of, there were some creatives, some good writers who became strategic people. There were some of my friends who were creatives who became directors um, because they felt like going back to the happy triangle thing. Um, they were happier doing the things they really love to do instead of just having a job to provide for their families. I know that sounds that that sounds easy for me. I mean, I, my kids are all grown now, but I was never driven by the money. I was driven by being able to have 
a place where I could come up with ideas and make stuff to where like the next job I can get more money because I've been doing stuff. And that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's not easy for me. I mean, I'm still have a job. I still, even though I'm like a 1099 and I'm a freelancer, I have a group of people I work with and we have luckily have a client that, that we're on retainer with. Um, but that wasn't easy work either getting that retainer. It took those people five or six years to be able to get the client to trust them to get there. I'm just lucky that I found them. Right. But if you're not going to put yourself out there, you never find anything. If you just go nine to five and get your check and you're probably on the street right now, um, it's because you were complacent. I think you could build a portfolio. I was telling a friend of mine, because I taught at the circus and the portfolio center, creative circus down in Atlanta, the yeah. portfolio schools. And the very first day of class, I always taught like the sixth, seventh quarter people. Cause I could never really get through to the first or second quarter. people. I could probably could. Like, now. What does that mean? Just so, so I know, and, and you know, the quarters wise. So eight quarters probably to go through that school, uh, two year program. So every quarter, so it's eight quarters. Okay. Uh, you know, I always tell them that they, they shouldn't go eight quarters. They should, the point of the school is to get a portfolio. It's not to, to stay there at quarters, get right. out of there at six quarters. Right. You don't have to graduate. It's not about that. It's about, you're not going to get any kind of plaque or anything. You're getting a portfolio. Right? right. So I always taught like six quarter. So they're going on their plat. They're trying to get their portfolios together. Like seventh and eighth, eighth quarter, they really polish their portfolios if they stay that long. Mm-hmm. Um, so I six or seventh quarter is what I always taught. And my f- first, I'll give you two things I did. One was I want you to bring in a crazy picture and bring in your portfolio and I'll have a look at it. Okay. So a lot of these people are like excited that I get going to look at their portfolio. Yeah. And what I did is I brought in a gas can and a book of matches and I told them to bring their portfolios up and we're <laughs> going to take them out into the parking lot and we're going to burn them, burn them. And these are people's actual portfolios with, you know, their samples in them. Yeah. I didn't do that. Yeah. But I did, and I didn't look at their portfolios that night. I told them to bring them back. I'll look, you know, eventually. And my point in doing that is that people rest on stuff they did yesterday or they did, these guys are still like in, they're, they're in sixth quarter and they're still keeping something they did in second quarter and they're still trying to fix it, which is okay because I do that all the time. I repurpose stuff all the time. But they're just trying to polish it. And, and I said, look, if, you, if I forced you, just this kind of has like, some parallel to what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. If you had to burn everything to the ground, you burn your small business, everything to the ground, your business down to the ground. And if you had to restart tomorrow and build it back up from zero, you would have a better business. You would have a, a better portfolio. I could build a portfolio of 30 pieces that'll kick any of your, any of the students ass in the amount of time in one quarter, I could do 30 pieces, Right. And I said, when you graduate from here, a year from now, you're going to call me back and you can say, Richie, you're right. Because you, you feel so restrained and, and, you, and you keep resting on something you did before. If you had to start fresh and you're forced, it, it, that's the fear thing I was talking about. If you had to start fresh, you're going to think completely differently. Instead of trying to rest on something you did before, right? Yeah. Um, and bringing in, so I gave him a little lesson. So I said, and I did this for Chop. So, so we brought Chop into our uh, 
and we have a small studio that we, we use, uh, and CHOP has an internal agency. We, they have 30 people. And they needed a little kick. You know, they needed somebody to come in and help them, like, change the way that they're thinking. So we brought them in for two days. And one of the experiments I, I used for my class was to bring in one crazy picture. One crazy picture, right? Mm-hmm. My job as an instructor was to make a list of brands. So this guy brought in a picture. Have you heard this story? Yeah, but I, yeah, I think it's a good story. Like, you know, uh, you to tell it for, for everybody else. So a guy, brought, a guy brought in a picture of an elephant sitting on a car. And I put up Porsche. And so the class, I let the class, they're all uh, able to, to throw out ideas. And this is, this is the internal agency that you're, you're talking to. Yeah, no, but I, no, this is a student. This was the student oh, this, okay. back in the studio. So I used the same experiment. So one student says, well, if you're driving, if you're not driving a Porsche, that's what it feels like, an elephant sitting on your car. Mm-hmm. I said, that's great. Now all we do is we take these cars and make them into snail cars and all these other cars, because if you're not driving a Porsche, that's what it's like, right? Right. And then I said, well, what about Greyhound? And somebody said, well, if your car is broken, use the bus. And I go, that's a little on the nose. You want some... I want to get people. Like I said, I want to get people. That's not getting the, the loops too closed. It's like, you know, it's like buy one, get two free. I mean, there's no, there's no reward for me uh, right. in that. And one guy in the back said, um, well, if you fly over America, you miss everything. So he wasn't even looking at the elephant sitting on the car. He was looking at a weird thing that was sitting on the side of the road. And his whole campaign that he created was it's more about the journey, not the destination. So he actually created like a strategy out of this like experiment. So I did that with, uh, I did that with chop and we came with a lot of, a lot of good ideas just from, from that. So one idea we had was like, okay, all it was was a picture of a gorilla with a little baby. And chop is children's hospital, Philadelphia, which is kind of, I always thought it was weird to call it chop, but. Well, chop, yeah. So what we said, well, so what if, so there's an elephant and a baby and you have CHOP, the children's hospital. So what if, and, and they have birthed a lot of people there at CHOP. So I said, what if, what if we go to the zoo and every time there's a baby, CHOP is actually sponsoring the baby? You know, this, they came up with this idea. And then maybe, then, then let's build on that. So the, the whole, we did another experiment with like, yes, and instead of no, but. So it was like, Yes, and what if you did this? What if you actually got people engaged to actually name the gorilla or name the tiger, right? right. And, and then so now you have this whole engagement of people that may not even be mothers yet, but in the future, they might say, hey, you know, uh, I've heard of CHOP and they're, they're, I always think of, so the, the problem, the, the business problem with CHOP is that when you think of CHOP, you think of, people who, um, kids who have cancer, kids who might need a heart transplant. But now CHOP was going out into the suburbs and they were, they were going in as a subcategory inside of hospitals. So they're becoming pediatricians. So instead of sending your kid, if I'm sending my kid to CHOP and your neighbor goes, oh my God, what happened? You're just going to get his shots. Right. Right. So that was the business problem. So we were trying to make, we were trying to normalize CHOP as not, not just the extreme thing, right? But also having a baby. 
you know, and, and bringing your baby into this place for his whole life, his whole childhood. Right. You know, so we get into the conversation through the zoo. And that's where the, these experiments happen because you're making these connections um, that way. Like we came up with chopsicles. So these would be popsicle trucks or chopsicle trucks that go out into the community. Because when you think of, when you think of a, the, the sound of a pops, of a ice cream truck coming down the road, you think of suburbs, you think of your neighborhood. Yeah. And, that, and then that came up with a whole nother campaign. And then all came from these experiments we did with just one picture. That's wild. And yeah. this is what I'm saying about having a conversation with the client is that I could draw this stupid picture, right? With a dog uh, chained, not being able to get to the thing he really needs or really wants because, and he's only two inches away. He needs something to help him get there. And it was just a metaphor which could be built on. So there was another idea where you have a guy walking down the road with his gas can and you could see that he was driving a gas truck, but he can't get to the gas because it's in the tanker. <laughs> but his truck ran out of gas. So it's like, you could just keep building on this. It's like, well, we, we get, we help you. Cause it was for a client of ours, like to be able to get cash out of your fleet. There's cash sitting in your fleet. You just can't see it. You can't get to it. Right. And we help you get to it. So anyway. Yeah, smart. Yeah, so there's there's a bunch of different ways to kind of solve things creatively, and that's a good exercise. I, I love that that story. Now, how do you, how do you identify people? Because you know, there's there's people that I've come across that you know may not be the most open to creative ideas. Do you do you seek people out that are you know kind of more aligned with your ideas and being open to more creative things, or are you usually up against people who are a little bit set in their ways and then you have to break them out of it? Like, I think you have to have a relationship and I'll give you an example. So I had a client, his name was Mark Schneid. He worked for Bayer. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he still works for them. Um, he, uh, was very, very strategic person. A lot of these clients, a lot of these clients are very, uh, they're, they're, brought up through Procter and Gamble and all these old ways of like researching and all this stuff. Mm. Um, and very kind of strategic. If it doesn't hit them in their head about how it, it doesn't work strategically, I have to convince them. So going back to the story about me being as a creative person, I have to be a really good strategic person. And I also have to be a really good interpreter. So if a client says make the logo bigger, it's not what they mean. It's that's, that's just a, a solution to the problem they're having. Mm -hmm. The problem they're having with the logo being bigger is it's not prominent enough for them. What if it's then, then you say, okay, if that's the problem, then what if it's the only thing on the page? What if it's this big forces me to look at it, you know, and I do a whole campaign around that. If that's what we want to do. Uh, Everlast did that. Everlast did a big campaign. just said Ever, Everlast, the boxing gloves. Yeah. That Everlast really big and just small type underneath it. A really powerful campaign. Um, I think my point is that you have to have a good relationship. So this guy named Mark Schneid, um, he would always interrupt right in the middle of me presenting. And I'm like, just let me finish. <laughs> I, I didn't have, have a good relationship with him because I was just a creative coming in and pitching ideas to him. I didn't know him that well. Yeah. So, so when I went on the road, I actually, what, what happens when you go on the road and you, and you go to the shoot, the armor comes off. You know, there's no, 
there's no, um, you know, this defense mechanism, you know what I mean? Right. You have to get, you have to get clients in a, in a, in a place that's not in their comfort zone. You got to put it in like a, a zone where it's like, it's like, uh, it's like not home field advantage, you know, like right. George, George and Florida, they don't play, they play in Jacksonville, which is, which is just a neutral zone, right? Once you're in that neutral zone, you can have a con- real conversation with somebody. When they're in your space or you're in their space, it's home field advantage. Yeah. You know, they feel like they can't be honest with you when they're with you. And they, a lot of times they don't feel like they can be honest there, but they also have this barrier around them, you know? So when you're on the road, it allows you to have like a drink. It allows you to have lunch. It allows you to have something that's outside of that uh, comfort zone and a neutral zone. When I told him, I said, Mark, here's the thing. We're going to shoot these commercials tomorrow. All right. The day before the shoot. And what I learned in, as uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons back in the day, we didn't have video games. We had like our minds and our, you know, you have like a guy, dungeon master who had like his plan, you roll dice and you go this way or that way and you decide what to do, right? It's more imaginary. It's more using your brains, right? What I learned in that game is that if you had five barbarians with long swords and you're fighting a dragon, you would get wiped out right away. You need somebody who has a magic. You need somebody who has like arrows. You need somebody who can heal uh, and the barbarian with a broadsword to beat that dragon. The dragon's not here. The dragon's out there. You You have your thing that you're good at. I have my thing that I'm good at. We need to work together to get that thing. And a lot of times, a lot of agency relationships, they don't have a close enough relationship with the client to be able to be honest. You know, and I think clients want honesty and I think clients want to see the work that they're, that they're paying for. If, if you only go back and show them two or three ideas that are polished or whatever, I, if I was a client, I'd say, where are the other 15? I don't want to see the polished ones. I want to see all the other ideas that you talked about. Right. Right. And I was always taught to bring an extra idea at every meeting. So I always bring something to an, uh, another meeting. So I think clients always liked me because a lot of times because I was, I wouldn't only do the assign. I wouldn't do the assignment. I would do the assignment, but I wouldn't, I would do extra. And I think clients will buy extra, you know, like for the monostat thing, I brought, if I brought them in that room with, I brought them in that room with all these ideas in the wall, all rough ideas. And we had like, not only the beaver, but we had like, um, hunky fireman, uh, calendars because it puts out the fire. Yeah. Right. And it's a calendar. That's not in the scope of work. The agency gets money for it. The client gets something that they can give away that they weren't planning on. That doesn't cost a lot of money. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm trying to say is I think clients would be more open to ideas. Uh, if you tell them how the game is played, mm-hmm. they think the game is played a certain way, but that's not how, how do you think they think it's played? Because yeah, they, they may have a certain perception of maybe an agency they work with before or somebody, you know. If they have a preconceived notion. So if, if they said, okay, Rich, we need to do a TV ad. I'm like, why are you doing TV? Well, we can reach the most people. Well, who told you that? Some media guy? Who told you that? Let's, let's talk about the problem, your problem first. They've already done 
you know, a lot of times they've done the right due diligence. They have like a media plan that they've figured out that's the best way uh, to get people, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think a lot of that time, a lot of it's a waste of money because it's not contextual, right? It's not, if you're sitting on a bus and you're reading something, is it, was that, you're reaching people, but you're not really, there's no context. You're not, you're not really reaching them, you know? Yeah. Um, So I ask why TV? And if there's TV, why does it have to be what you think the TV should be? Is it going to be shiny? Is it going to be all stills? Is it going to be nothing? I mean, one of my favorite ads for FedEx for, uh, for uh, the Super Bowl. Super Bowl ad costs what to run? Uh, Back then, like maybe $10 million, 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. All it was was color bars. It went, and it just had type. It says, the commercial that was supposed to go here wasn't sent by FedEx, so it didn't make it in time. <laughs> That's good. It's contextual. Yeah. Because you're wanting to see the commercial. You're waiting for the commercials during the Super Bowl, and you didn't see what you thought you were going to see, so it hit me sideways. Right. I think clients think that, that if – they're going to see a TV ad. It's going to have a person talking about their product. That, that's what they're used to. And for Monistat, I said, I refuse to show you a talking head. We did a talking head to win the business. The second round, I told Mike, they can't buy a talking head if we don't show them a talking head. So we did, we did granny panties on a clothesline. Then we had a Monistat. And then we had thongs. And it was strategic. It's like, get, get back to your sexy self faster. And that's working with really good strategic people and, and forcing a dogmatic rule to my team to say, we're not doing talking heads. Right. Um, and you have to, be, like, like I said, you have to be creative on how you sell it. You know, and it's normally, it's a lot of times with those kind of clients, you have to be strategic. This is why we're doing this because this product will help them feel better. Whatever the, you have to, you have to be able to sell work. That's what I learned from like Goldberg was O'Neill um, from Fred Goldberg. I mean, you have to, you have to have good account people who want to, to, to sell the good ideas. Um, and you have to have good strategic people. I have to have good relationships. Um, I had a client, I helped launch Kia in this country back in the day. Uh, Kia, the motor uh, car company. Yeah. We went in and we showed eight TV campaigns, but then I brought in a billboard. It was a little billboard that I, that I made, had a car on it and it had a huge odometer. Right. The client like, it's like, what's that? I said, well, we always bring an extra idea at every meeting. So I brought this billboard and what it is is a car on a billboard running a huge odometer. And this is back in the day. It's like 90, seven or 98 and just says these days, $9,999 goes a long way. Right. It's a real car running on those, you know, you've seen those tire commercials where they're running like on a, on a conveyor. He goes, we're doing that. I want to test that. We're not doing this TV. (laughs) We're not doing a TV. I want to do that. And that'll be the TV. We'll have people. This is 98. This is before people were doing like low budget TV. And, and I said, we could, get Jiffy Lube to change the oil, climb the billboard, change the oil in 15 minutes or less. So we'd have like these tie-ins. We could have local radio stations. We took it to testing. People raised their hand. They said they would go out of their way to go see that car. So we were in production. 
Wow. $500,000 billboard in production, right? We had figured out how to make this thing. Well, what they did every two years, this company, is they would bring in a new president from Korea. Somebody who like is 100% Korean and they're in that culture to me. So he says, okay, what are we doing for advertising? And they showed him this billboard. He goes, we can't do it. It'll pollute. I've read too much about smog in LA and stuff. Can't do it. It was dead like that. My point in telling you is that if you have a client that clients always look at the shiny object, they're, they're always say, what's that? When you go in there, you show them a preconceived notion about what, what they're going to get a TV ad. And then you show them something else. They're like, let's talk about this thing. Yeah. I think it's a human, human nature thing. What was Kia's original um, problem that they came to you guys with? Just awareness or? Yeah, they're a new company. So, and, and they have, they had a bad problem because um, for one, um, Hyundai had pulled out of the market because Korean cars, they completely left. Hyundai left. Kia had no money. Uh, didn't have the big money that all the other car companies have, especially mm-hmm. the Japanese ones. So their whole thing was Japanese like quality for less. So that billboard going a long way was a real, almost like a real world test of right. showing how far the car would go. You got to actually see the odometer go up. So it was a, a real life example of what they were trying to communicate. Japanese like quality. And shocking, more or less. Japanese like quality for less. Yeah. If it, so when we, when we did commercials, we would have uh, a Kia chasing a Honda, right? And that's what it turned into be, is we had this big, build, big odometer on top of the car. Um, <laughs> and um, it went 200,000 miles. So in real life, we, had, we went to a company and they did 200,000 miles real world test for the car. So, cause what the Japanese people were touting at the time is a hundred thousand miles is a long way. And we were saying, well, 200,000 miles is longer. Right. And that's what, that's, that's what we were trying to do. And just to let you know, marketing wise, Kia started like in the West coast, I think maybe California the first year, the second year they had California they had dealerships in California, Washington, Oregon. Um, Oregon, Washington. And then they had the third year they had Nevada and then uh, by year six, they were in New York. So in year six, we did it. I wasn't there any longer. Oh yeah, maybe it was. They did a campaign about we're now in New York. You know what I mean? We've made it. Right. Yeah. It's incredible. And now the, to see where they've come today, you know, she's amazing. Yeah. yeah. But they only had two models back then. And, you know, they weren't that safe, I would think. Yeah. Um, I didn't like riding in them back then. But. Right. Yeah, no, it's, uh, that's, that's a pretty awesome story. I know you've, uh, we've talked about that before. Um, and I just wanted to touch on your, your thoughts because we've talked a lot about the agency world. You know, how do you see it moving forward? Because you've been in it for how many, how many years now? And you've worked at quite a few of the big ones. 30 years. 30 years, yeah. I've seen small, big, large, medium. Because uh, right now, some of them are doing good. Some of them are hurting, you know, but I think it will change. Agencies have been trying to figure it out for a while. So back in the day, 
and you probably know all this history, but back in the day, they gave away the creative for free because they made money on the media. They mm -hmm. made it, they made 15, 17% on media. Uh, so they gave away the, 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 the ideas for free. In fact, the M&M's characters were all developed by BBDO and the client owns the rights to that. You know, that they just for licensing and um, just selling characters and that sort of thing is probably worth millions of dollars every year that the agency gave away. Huge. So when, once the media people uh, went and started their own things, uh, the agencies started to figure, couldn't figure out how to like, you know, strategically make any money. And then the digital age came, they started making money in digital because they had media in that too, uh, with banners and all that. And now I think they've been scratching their head for a long time. Um, the margins are really thin. I don't know how agencies that are owned by big conglomerates make money. I don't, I mean like Digitas and these type of people here, uh, they gouge the clients and the clients are, work, are, are, are usually uh, used to paying that. I mean, I think there's, because there's a kind of a lot of, a lot of rules and that sort of thing. Yeah. I don't know for sure. Um, but I think like what Martin Sorrell said is this is going to be a Darwinian cull. Um, I think clients are going to learn to start working with people, not necessarily agencies. I think boutique agencies are going to like be great. I think the large, there's still room for large agencies. I can't, me and my team cannot handle Ford. You know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to, you need a big agency uh, for those big clients. But what Ford could do, what the agencies can't provide at a, at a, at a price is do doing like uh, social media content, uh, small budget videos. Uh, they can't, they can't make those for the right price because of the, 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 the overhead and the salaries are too high. So there's still room for clients like Subaru, which is right across the, the, uh, the way here, mm. is to work with people like us to do um, video, to do social media, um, to do all those kind of things. I'm not asking for the big, you know, branded stuff. I can't, I, I can do that. Um, and there may be some of those clients, if you've heard like Lowe's about two years pulled all their advertising from BBDO, which is a, a big deal. And they went to eight different places. You know, I think yeah. clients, it just depends who's running the business on the client side. I think clients might feel like, um, if you have eight different agencies doing different things, there's no cohesiveness. And it's like herding cats, you know what I mean? But yeah, how do you how do you have that many different you know partnerships and things are aligned? Because it doesn't seem like it's yeah. And I think there's a lot of probably catfighting between those agencies. I don't know. Yeah. Um, um, but my client, for instance, they can't. I don't know. I I can't really tell you what their budget is, but I guarantee you, if they went to an agency, it would cost them five times more for what yeah. we do for them. Yeah, so I guess it just depends on what what you know the, the end client's looking for and how big they are, um, and, and and where they stand right now. You know, it's like I saw something about um, you know Molson Coors like cutting their budget pretty significantly because you know the bars and and all that are closed. 
So, well, and I also think that going back to the Darwinian Cole, I think that, um, I think if Clarence were smart, uh, after all this, they would go to places that are doing great work. Um, I think there's lots of agencies like, you know, Butler Shine, um, a lot of these agencies that are very like creative and very good strategically, um, there, you're going to find, I think you're going to find a lot of like, they just let go of Greg Hahn at BBDO. Who's like one of the best creative people we have. Um, and they let him go and he was like second in command. And I reached out to him on LinkedIn. I said, dude, you'll be good for it. Cause you'll, you'll start your own thing. Then you have like people like, Jerry Graff, who's very talented, who had, he did all the little Caesar stuff. He did kayak, mm-hmm. you know, very talented, very funny. Um, he did, you know, originally did the Snickers, like not going anywhere for a while. Okay. He's, that's what he's famous for back in the day. Um, and he, um, he just had to close shop. Not, not now. He did it like a year ago, but these these agencies can't figure out like how to do the overhead thing, have the clients, have the, I, I don't know if they weren't making any money. I don't know. I don't know why they closed, but I always like looked up to those guys. I don't know how it wouldn't work. Yeah. That was interesting to see him close up and the whole industry seemed to be a little bit like shocked that, that that was happening. Cause they're trying to do the same old model. I would think. Yeah. It's yeah it's, I don't know. I don't know. Even going back to your point of like the M&Ms, like, you know, building that intellectual property and selling that as an asset to companies is, is a huge thing or, you know, but yeah, things, things obviously do have to change. You can't, you know, rely on the, uh, the old method and you have to outsource things and run a lot leaner than, than having all that overhead. I think, I think going back to being audacious, I mean, um, yeah. I saw Yoko Ono, uh, at, I said, I don't want to see Yoko Ono. I'm, it was at Cannes. And her point is, as a creative person, if you're not audacious, then what are you? You know, I mean, you might not like her music, but you know who she is. She did some really cool things. I mean, when she met John Lennon, I never knew this because I went back and looked at her, but she had this little picture about this big, right? But you had to climb a 20-foot ladder to see it that's cool. It didn't matter. It didn't yeah, matter what I, I you saw up, when you got yeah. up there. Exactly. It's yeah. audacious. It was, it was like an experience, experiment, experience, you know what I mean? It's like, um, and she did a lot of things and she's not, not afraid to fail because if you're not, a, if, if you're afraid to fail, then you're going to fail. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you won't, might be a good quote. Yeah, that, that is good. I do like that. I'm going to write that down. I mean, we've always heard about being not afraid to fail, to fail. Um, but. Because if you're not, if you're not putting yourself out there, even to potentially fail, you're never going to even succeed anyway. So you will inherently not trying, <laughs> you know, you will fail. Yeah. That's a, that's a good one. That's definitely a good one. If you're afraid to fail, you will. <laughs> yeah. So no, I think those are those are some good uh, some good thoughts because I, I know we've kicked around a lot of a lot of different stuff before, um, but it was just interesting and I wanted to get your take. I thought it would be important for people to uh, to hear that now and 
know. Well, and the other thing too is like, if I don't know how you're, what you're going to put this on, what kind of platform or anything, but just I would say to any of those businesses out there, I'm willing to like, just for like a day, just throw out a tons of ideas and you just take them and do whatever you want with them. Just give me what the gist of your problem is. I have a team of people who do it for like next to nothing, you know? Um, it, you know, you have all these consultants, obviously, but at the end of the day, I mean, we could even help the consultants with their ideas. Um, I mean, I, I love to finish, finish my ideas, but a lot of times uh, a client just need like a little kick. I don't think any of it like chop and everything. I'm, I'm happy with just like, that was fun. Yeah. You know, I don't have to have my name on it. I don't know how they're going to execute it. It might be, oh man, they didn't execute that right. Or they could surprise me and say, man, I would have never done it that way. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Just getting them out of your head and hopefully seeing them come to fruition. You know, hopefully you're a part of them or if not, it's like, okay, I knew that would work, you know? And that's what I would say to some of these small businesses or businesses who are trying to figure out what they're going to do next. What if you brought in like me and a, two or three of my friends and we come in and we help you guys just come up with ideas, you know, and, and in those, those are safe settings because you're inside the four walls. You can come up with audacious ideas. I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not saying to paint, you know, um, what was that? It was like a, a casino that painted like, these boobs and it had their dot com on it. You know, I'm not saying maybe that's, maybe that's perfect for them because it's contextual for like whatever they're doing, but you could put that on the wall. Why not? It might actually give you an idea, you know, like bad ideas spark, spark good ideas, which spark worse ideas, which spark, you know, well, I didn't think of it that way. Cause you go down these rabbit holes, you know? Yeah. And that's the fun part. I think about the creative process. Yeah. And also if you're in a room full of like creatives, like me and my, so the other thing we did is we did like little exercises, like what if, uh, so we broke them out in teams. Like what if, uh, what if uh, shop was represented like Dr. Doolittle, what would that look like? Or Dr. Seuss or doc from back to the future. Or, you know, Mr. Rogers um, or Gandhi. What happens is when you do these exercises and you start thinking about things differently, things come out of it. And you may have a problem right in front of you. You know, obviously a business problem that you have in front of you, but there may be some kind of merchandising idea you came out, come out of that. Like we created for the little pop shop, we created the impeachment pop. But what it is is peach and mint. Right, a peach and mint pop called the peach mint pop. I like that. Right, I'm not saying that you're for or against Trump, but it gets you in the conversation because each one of these popsicle sticks had something on it. You know, like if you don't have health care, use this as a tongue depressor. <laughs> I like that. And it, what it does is it just allows you to get it gives when you do things like that, it, it allows like the public to actually like you and start sharing things about you. So now your money that you thought you were going to spend on traditional media is actually, is actually done by the public who like you out there, you know? Right. Well, like, what are your thoughts on, on that? So it's, you know, it seems like there's always a difference between, Oh, that's just for the advertising or, 
we don't need that. We don't need creative, a creative shop. We don't need creative ideas. We just need SEO. We need digital, you know, and now most of that stuff is important, but kind of like you're saying, and I wanted to get your take on this is getting people thinking about you in a certain way or starting a conversation about something that will potentially, and more than likely, if you do it right, get people searching you, get people looking for you versus you trying to modify tags and do different things. So what's your, your so I'll give you an example. So I uh, hear, I'm just like a, a geek when it comes to this kind of stuff. So yeah, you think you might need SEO, but then once you get, once you get the right keywords and you get people to drive you to someplace, where are you driving them to, to your website? And what does your website look like when they get there? Mm-hmm. Like what kind of, like, are you sure that's what you want them to first see? Or is it because you needed to get the website done? Website done? Right. Right. What if I, what if I type in the keyword and I push images? What would I, what would come up? Right. Should you be there where the images come up or the video comes up? I mean, I don't, I'm not an SEO guru, but I'd like to ask a lot of questions. So I give you an example. And what I think is continuing the conversation. So uh, traditional media should either drive you. Uh, how do you get traditional media to continue the conversation somewhere else, right? I'll give you a couple examples. So um, Budweiser, who has a ton of money, right? Um, Couldn't afford Mick Jagger drinking a Budweiser, right? But guess what? If you Google Mick Jagger drinking a Budweiser, you'll find Mick Jagger drinking a Budweiser from old photography and all that kind of stuff. So instead of paying the rights to Mick Jagger for drinking a Budweiser, all they did was say, Google Mick Jagger drinking a Budweiser. (laughs) So the person got to see Mick Jagger drinking a Budweiser and they didn't have to pay for it. And that was a creative solution to very smart, but that was, that was a creative solution um, to get you into the conversation. Now, guess what? People are going to copy and paste Mick Jagger drinking a Budweiser and send it to their friends. And Budweiser doesn't own it. Probably the photographer owns it, but he has it up on the, in uh, image search. Right. Budweiser didn't have to pay any of that, but they're getting people to talk about it and do stuff. And that came from a creative, that came from a creative idea, a creative solution. Um, another idea so that I had when I first moved here, I worked on the Constitution Center. Here's what I'm talking about context. And this is what every... Every creative should know this. And this is what I'm talking about media by and about being contextual. So they had, we had to do 13 billboards around town for the constitution center, Mm -hmm. which is kind of stupid to me because, um, oh, maybe, maybe it's not, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's a destination place. You're already here in Philly. So maybe, maybe that's talking to the people that don't really live here. You know what I mean? You're talking to people that came here to see the independence hall which might be smart. So why are they on public transportation? I have no idea. Cause if you're a tourist, you probably wouldn't ride that, but you wouldn't ride that. Yeah. So I said, okay, I want those. I want to know those 13 billboards. Where are they? If you're walking by that billboard, how is it going to connect to you? Mm-hmm. Right. So we had this whole campaign about um, your rights. Cause I just moved from Egypt. So I was like fired up. This is right when Occupy was down here. Right. Okay. Yeah. And 
it, it basically just had your right as the big headline. Like uh, on the bill, on the bus cards, it was like, read any newspaper, right? Uh, courtesy of the constitution, right? Then it had like, uh, sit anywhere on the bus, courtesy of the constitution. Well, one of the billboards is down by the Eagle Stadium. And I said, you know, it'd be really interesting. We said, root for the Cowboys, courtesy of the Constitution. Right? Right. If it got vandalized, it would be fine. You know, sports radio is going to say, what the fuck? And you're going to come out and say, well, it's a right. You right. can root for them. And here's the cool thing. We're going to buy a billboard next to the Cowboys stadium that says root for the Eagles and one by the Giants stadium that says root for the Eagles and Washington root for the Eagles. It's going to get on ESPN. You spent what? $3,000 a month or $3,500 a month for the billboard. You're going to get like millions of dollars in media. Yeah. So my whole thing is how can you take your traditional media that you people are out in the world and how do you get them to share it and talk about it? That's all. Right. Um, so I would ask that question in a meeting, how are you spending your money in media, right? There, there's more noise on TV now than there ever has been. And it's all fucking like not contextual. I don't understand it. Yeah. I mean, do that many people have mesothelioma? I don't know. Do sure. they? I mean, is it, is it, uh, it's, it's a waste. I, I don't know. Maybe do they get, is that worth it for those people to send that money? I don't know. Yeah, you wonder sometimes when you see a lot of this stuff, it's like, yeah, how else, you know, because we talked about before, um, I forget what the context of like, you know, the, the situation or the potential campaign, but you were like, if you could spend this much money on whatever it was, you were like, why don't you just take that $200,000 and make stickers and put them yeah. all over the, the, you know, the city or, or whatever you were trying to do? What was that? I forget what no, I was just no, I was just making a point. Like, okay, you have two hundred thousand dollars. What are you going to get out of that? Like, how are you going to get people to talk about it? You know, we had Yingling here, and um, there's a lot of places like Good Dog. You know, uh, yeah. some of these places that don't carry Yingling, but it used to be like the craft beer because it was brown lager. I mean, who would have thought brown lager, right? Yeah, brown lager from PA. Yeah, you know, but brown lager is weird, and. That was 25 years ago. So what we said is, okay, how do we get people to talk about it? We give them a free beer and we get Yingling to give them a free beer for thanking them for 25 years. And so we did is we bought a $6,000 like media buy during the news at 630, right? We had street teams that would go out and hand out these beers. If you're going to buy one, if you're going to get one free, you're going to buy the next one, right? And how do you get people to talk about it? And we got like 20 million impressions just from this toast. And what we did is we used traditional media to say, Hey, go to your local bar and get a free beer on this date. Right. We spent $6,000 and it made it, we made it seem like that the toast was live, like the way we shot it and the way we did it, you know, that's cool. And you know, that like traditional news and we'll get behind that and be like, Hey, you know, and give you more, you know, it'll, it'll kind of expand upon that. Yeah, I mean, not that this was a great ad, but to get people talking is like I had my wife who's skinny, you know, saying she has to get in a summer weather shape. She can't go on the beach, you know? Yeah. I'm like, what are you talking about? You look fine. And um, so we did, we had one billboard and it was for a weight loss center. 
and we just put this big walrus on the bus on the on a billboard and it says <laughs> summer's coming and it was for a, a fit like a, a weight loss center that's it but instead of how do you get in the conversation we use weather as a conversation starter so we went to all the weather people here in philly and started posting stuff on their social media says how disgusting is this are they making fun of my weight you know that's that's I, I can't believe they're doing that. And I was literally in the room with the client and we put up the Facebook and it was just ticking up, ticking up shares, people talking. Wow. It wasn't, it wasn't great creative, but the idea of using traditional media to get people to talk about it online or on the radio or whatever. That's what that's, it's all about. I mean, we become PR people. I mean, really? Yeah. Um, and PR firms should look at people like us for eight, for, for ideas because they're doing it the traditional way. They're, they keep doing it the traditional way. Um, right. I mean, obviously there's some great ones out there and they do some great stunts and they do some great things, but they have the context to be even make it bigger, you know, right. Like they get, you know, I don't know. If they took what, you know, what kind of what you're saying, they could take what they're doing up. Yeah. Not with that, you know, creative mindset. I just want to thank you again for uh for coming on today um it was a great conversation as always you always kind of get me uh get me excited to, to get creating and, and solving problems and doing little experiments so um you know with this and everything else i i'll try to continue to uh to move that forward but yeah thanks again for uh yeah. for being here appreciate it and that's the show guys i hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as i enjoyed making it for you stay tuned more episodes coming up Have a good one. Stay safe. Stay healthy. I'll talk to you guys soon. See you.